Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, back from Europe, he's here, Ethan Sachs in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Ethan, it is so good to have you back. It's good to be back, Ben. I have missed you. This is crazy. It's the longest I've ever been away from streaming, from certainly from the podcast, from, uh, you know, playing magic. I, I tried to do as much as I could. I managed to get like, I don't know, half a dozen drafts in on my phone on terrible Wi-Fi and roaming on my phone while we were in Scotland, but mostly did not get to play very much until uh, until we got home yesterday and tried to jam as many drafts as I could in preparation for this episode. But I'm happy to be back. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Glad to hear your voice. That's the first time I've gone <laughs> more than a week without hearing your voice since we started the podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. And and huge thank you to you for holding down the fort in terms of discord and obviously, you know, recording the podcast, editing the podcast, keeping the ship afloat while I was uh, overseas. Yeah, no worries, dude. Yeah. So how's the format? How's magic? How's things? The format is awesome. I love this format. I haven't quite gotten to draft it as much as I would like. I'm probably, I don't know, 15, 20 ish drafts deep right now. And it is a blast. So I've been loving blue green graveyard decks to <laughs> low success <laughs> but they're yeah. super fun to play and pilot and then like the esper colors are just great the gameplay is so good in the format i've just had very 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 interesting games interesting yeah that seems to be the big takeaway i've heard you know from from watching a bunch of streams yesterday while i was drafting had like you know streams up on one screen drafts on the other screen trying to follow the the twitter discourse and of course the discord discourse the lord's limited discord which we'll talk about in just a second but yeah that seems to be the case that maybe the drafting portion isn't super interesting but the gameplay has been very very deep and there's a lot to think about and I feel like I agree on that. And I want to talk about that uh, as we as we touch on a lot of my questions here. So we're going to be doing sort of a little hodgepodge format check-in. I'm going to ask Ben a lot of questions trying to catch up as best I can. And then we'll go through a, a handful of draft logs to sort of see how we're navigating drafts in this format. Before we dive into all that, I just want to say I've been enjoying the drafts as well. I mean, oh. it's been, I don't know what pods other people are joining, but it has not been possible for me to draft Blue Black the last week. And I think the drafts have been interesting, especially if you're trying to start blue and black and you get pushed off it like you're supposed to. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. I don't want to you know, spoil our, our questions here, or dive into the, the meat of the episode before we uh, take care of a little bit of housekeeping here. So first things first, we're going to talk about the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. You know, Ben, I would be remiss to not let you take care of this portion of the episode because I think you enjoyed doing it so much <laughs> oh while so I was worried. away. It was so bad. <laughs> I really fully enjoyed the blooper of last week's episode. And and I should say on air that I thought you and Alex crushed it. I really enjoyed listening to that episode that felt like that caught me up a lot in the absence of being able to draft. Um, and you know what else caught me up in the absence of being able to draft is the Lords of Limited Discord, which is what folks get. Everybody who gives back to the show via the Patreon gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. And I found that so interesting. You know, I wasn't able to do a lot of draft logs myself, but I was able to dive in and see other people's drafts or other people's builds or look at the trophies that people have been getting early in the format or figure out what's going on with how incredible, you know, organ hoarder is or any of that good stuff. Um, so that was really helpful for me, um, being able to, you know, sort of be on the other side of, of accessing the discord. And that's what folks get from uh, giving back via the Patreon. You also get access to a, a ton of other stuff, show notes in advance of the episode, all the way up to uh, getting monthly coaching sessions from me and Ben. So if uh, any of that sounds interesting to you, or, uh, you know, if you feel like you've gotten value out of the show and you want to give back, head on over to the Patreon. And uh, I guarantee that you will not be disappointed. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold each and every week that they join so this week ben and i are going to be welcoming on in mark doot doot rob matt jason eric anthony derek leaf abdur graham victor giovanni lucas russell nate p caleb nate s garrett Stefan and Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. And I cannot say how amazing you are at doing <laughs> our little ad read for the Patreon. So impressed. <laughs> I'm blown away. <laughs> that was uh, that was highly entertaining last week. In addition to the Patreon, show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go on the internet for anything and everything you need magic related. They're making a huge transition at the end of the month over to the Channel Fireball Marketplace. As we talked about last week, there's going to be a ton of giveaways throughout the month of October to celebrate and create awareness for it. So basically how it's going to work, starting on October 4th, CFB is giving away tens of thousands of dollars worth of product across all games, Magic the Gathering, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, etc. If you're listening to this podcast, you're presumably interested in the Magic the Gathering ones. But there's going to be giveaways every day and entering's easy. All you have to do is purchase something from the CFB Marketplace in October. 
Every $10 you spend is going to grant you an entry. And we talked about this last week. Big prize at the end. They're giving away a black lotus, Ethan. That's crazy. That's crazy town. Crazy. First edition Charizard. So it's going to be super awesome. So if you're interested in that, you can check out more about it on the CFB website. Other big news out of Channel Fireball this week, they are hosting MTG Vegas. That's right. In-person magic events starting to trickle back through the pandemic. So you might have already seen this on Twitter, you know, big uh, discussion, both sides of it. They're hosting a Las Vegas MTG tournament in November. There's going to be two main events, Modern and Sealed, Crimson Vow Sealed on release weekend. So I saw that announcement and I was pretty hyped. I was uh, in the Discord lobbying for you and Alex to join me. And you were maybe a little lukewarm on going, Ethan. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a very cool that CFB is taking this risk to put on this event. Um, for folks who don't know, the uh, the requirements to go is either to have proof of vaccination or proof of a uh, negative COVID test within two days of entering the event. Um, and my feeling is that that's just not quite the amount of risk I'm, I'm willing to take, especially the week before Thanksgiving. And uh, and I just sort of took my calculated risk trip for the year. I felt like, you know, I didn't want to miss this wedding in Scotland, took a, a lot of risk in terms of going, um, took three COVID tests, I am vaccinated, etc. And so I feel like, you know, I'm not trying to yuck anyone's yum and everyone's making their own decision. Um, but for me, and I think it's important to just sort of let people know that everybody has their own threshold of risk. And this is just a little too high for me. For sure, 100%. For me, I'm coming at it from a little bit different perspective, because I'm a teacher. So I'm just every day around a thousand people, you know, like, so it doesn't feel like that much higher of a risk threshold to me. And maybe that's just like me being selfish and, you know, whatever, wanting to go to Vegas. But honestly, I was super excited when I heard about this announcement. And I'm kind of bummed that, you know, I couldn't talk you into coming with me. But I am still maybe going to go if I can find someone to go with, like, I'm just not personally going to travel across the country to go just me. But if I can find some Mm -hmm. people that are interested in going, I feel, you know, wearing a mask, being vaccinated, that's going to be good enough for me, given that I'm a teacher and I'm around so many people every day anyway. Yeah, for sure. And I, like I said, I I wanted to talk about the event on the show and, and sort of pose those two different perspectives. And I think it's important to let people know that some people aren't ready to go to an event like this. And some people are. And I think that's, that's totally fine. You just got to make the right decision for yourself. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's awesome that CFB is putting it on for sure. Totally agree. All right, looping back to our show notes here, I wanted to just like throw out a few questions to sort of help me, you know, catch up, try and and, and be up to date with where you're at on the format and pick your brain a little bit. So the first question I had, which sort of dovetails off of you talking about, you know, finding the draft portions interesting. Where do you think this format is on the spectrum of like, quote unquote, carve out a lane to draft the hard way? Like, how, how much are you just like letting the table let you know what color pair you're supposed to be in for your seat versus like, hey, I pack one, pick one this card, and I'm going to try and hard force this lane. Well, I think the format's kind of already shifted. I think the first week, you probably could force blue black as evidenced by Alex doing that to mythic number one. LSV did it to mythic number one, even this last week, although I think LSV was near the tail end of when you could force blue black and is also just an absurdly talented player drafter, all those sorts of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I found, it's not really possible to force blue black anymore lately and i've really found that the format rewards drafting the hard way i mean i'm definitely trying to get into white or blue or black but not necessarily blue black specifically and i'm pretty willing to draft almost anything except red green yeah that makes a lot of sense to me i sort of missed the whole like force blue black or you know blue black's always open train but then today i did get to do a draft i'm like three wins deep um and i finally got to draft blue black for the first time and it was just one of those like sort of freak accident tables i think that are going to happen now less than they used to where like you're you know you're getting your pick seven pick eight organ hoarders or they're wheeling or whatever also eccentric farmers were wheeling as well but i wasn't in green but i was towing the line between blue black and blue green for a little bit and it just seemed like the seven other drafters at my table hated value. Um, but yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I've sort of like done both sides, like sort of let the table show me what's up, but also have like, you know, opened the red black vampire uncommon and said like, hey, let me try this out. This seems like a reason to draft that deck or, you know, got the busted uh, black white angel rare and, you know, forced white black effectively, that sort of thing. Yeah, I would say if I'm trying to summarize my draft strategy, I would say I don't want to be red. Like I'm pretty willing to do anything other than red and I'm only going to draft red if I feel like I get pushed into it. And and so none of the red color pairs excite you. Red, black vampires, you're not into blue, red spell is not into. I mean, I'm fine with all of them. That's the thing. Like that's the difference between this format and AFR for me is if I get pushed into red, I'm not unhappy. I think red's fine. I think you can win with red. I just think if I'm trying to steer myself a place, you know, on the on the spectrum of carving out a lane towards drafting the hard way, 
I'm trying to carve out a lane towards not red. And then if I get pushed into red, okay, I'll draft red and I'll try to win with it. Yeah, all right, that makes sense. So the next big question that I have, it starts with where are we at on Silverbolt? But really, like I wanted to talk about the removal in general and have a broader discussion. I was interested in what Alex had to say, and I was curious if if you felt this way. I don't remember if you said so on the episode last week. But Alex talking about like, not really taking removal super highly, right? He doesn't feel like he needs to take removal because there's a lot of it and he can find it when he needs it. Um, I have found that taking that strategy has, you know, been successful and not so successful for me. I have definitely found myself ending drafts and going, oh, I don't quite have enough interaction, which brings me to the question of Silverbolt, which seems to be a card that you can get at least a copy of at any point in the draft if you want to. And on its face, it seems actually pretty darn good, like three mana to kill basically everything, right? Everything is either small enough to get hit by the three damage or you're hitting werewolves and that's killing those as well. I have not really loved it actually in practice when I've played it. Where are you at on Silverbolt? I really like Silverbolt. Very happy with one copy. Sometimes I'd run two if I didn't get other good removal spells, but I have liked it for sure. It plays very well in tandem with Flip the Switch if you want to hold up mana for that counter spell, as well as Ecstatic Awakener. That's one of the reasons Blue Black is so busted, right? If you get a, an Ecstatic Awakener on the board with Flip the Switch in hand and, you know, the Silverbolt, your opponent just gets so punished no matter what decisions they make. Great. So I want to go on a little like sub bullet point here because I have this further down, but this is a great spot to talk about it. You guys were super high on counter spells last week, and I think flip the switch specifically. I have found personally, and again, I feel like like I'm trying just trying to catch up here. I have found playing with counter spells to be a little awkward at times are you and you've named two things already silverbolt and ecstatic awakener that play well with it once you're going down the route of having counter spells or, or you know you, you see like hey i'm gonna take pick up these flip the switches or maybe devious cover-ups or whatever are you then finding yourself i need to prioritize things that play well with this like those aforementioned cards and if so are there others that, that come to mind that play well with these counter spells yeah 100 percent. you really want to be playing at instant speed as much as possible if you've got flip the switches in your deck i don't like devious cover-ups dissipates fine i think flip the switch is significantly better than both those cards because of the zombie token it poops out and then there's just so many things to do with the decayed zombie token so flip the switch feels like a one and a half for one where those other two cards feel a little less special to me like i've not found the devious cover-up loops or like clear the mind style deck to really be a thing or important in the format at all but i do think sticking flip the switch feels awesome and i will go out of my way if i have two or three flip the switches that I've picked up. And that's the other sweet thing about it is you don't need to pick up flip the switch super highly. You're picking it up, you know, seventh pick, eighth pick. Maybe you're wheeling them in blue sometimes. And then if you can get those cards that play well with them, I think they are premium cards in your deck. Another one that comes to mind in blue is Revenge of the Drowned. Um, plays mm. super well with it. That's, you know, you're, again, holding up instant speed removal plus that counter spell. The other one that comes to mind is Secrets of the Key. That's the blue instant that makes a clue and then you can flash it back for three in a blue. I have mm. liked exactly one copy of Secrets of the Key in a lot of blue decks, especially ones that can self-mill with Organ Hoarder, dump some cards in the graveyard. Any of those things, I think, where you're holding up instant speed interaction. Startle is another one, one in a blue for the instant to give target creature minus two minus O and then draw a card, make a decayed zombie. I think all that stuff is super good if you get those cards in tandem with each other. Now, I'm not like second picking flip the switch or whatever, trying to hope yeah, to yeah. play counter spells, but I, I do think it's very good if you get them and you get those other cards. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. So circling back to removal, I got to say, and this may be, you know, heresy, I, Candle Trap has not seemed bad for my opponents. Excuse me. Who are I'm you sorry. and what have you done with <laughs> Ethan Sachs? Like, it has mostly felt like four mana exile a thing from white in like the mid to late game. And that does not seem bad. And I also have to say, and I, this seems like a little more corner casey, but my first draft first trophy was a blue green like turbo self mill deck. And I played two copies of Locked in the Cemetery in that deck, and they weren't bad. Now, I get that if you're trying to do the loop-to-loop thing, but I agree with you that it's not really, that doesn't really happen that much. But if you're trying to do that thing, it's awkward that your removal in that deck, like you don't want your removal to not be able to get shuffled back in. But I have not, you know, you guys were poo-pooing the enchantment-based removal last week, and I will trust your judgment. But I will say, so far, my experience from my opponents casting Candle Trap and my you know limited experience with Locked, they have not seemed embarrassing. I think they're both playable for sure. Sure, but I mean, Candle Trap's really awkward in white, in my experience, because white wants to be so aggressive, and Candle Trap doesn't necessarily get the thing off the battlefield. If you reliably have Coven, I think Candle Trap's definitely playable, but it's not premium. And then I think Locked in the Cemetery is fine, 
But if you ended up in a spot where you're blue and don't have Revenge of the Drowns, I'm not sure quite what happened there. And Revenge is just like worlds better than Locked in a Cemetery. But I agree. They're both playable. Yeah, I, I agree with those sentiments. And I do think Locked is worse than Candle Trap. I don't know. Co- Coven has not seemed that difficult to come by. You know, like sometimes boards are stalling out, but maybe if White's trying to be super aggressive, then Coven isn't. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I will say that Candle Trap has often just seemed like four mana exile a thing at sorcery speed and not not that bad. Yeah, I haven't seen it much on the battlefield yet at all. So you could be 100% right. I wanted to check in about Black's removal just for myself to be able to like touch base here versus the crash course and just like how wrong I was about Olivia's midnight ambush and to a lesser extent wrong about eaten alive like eaten alive I do think is miles maybe not miles but definitely top of the heap of black's common removal yes I agree with that for sure and yeah and Olivia's midnight ambush has very often felt like two mana disfigure like I really was like, you know, my my big takeaway in the past few years of, uh, you know, doing the podcast and trying to like evaluate cards is, you know, trust R&D, trust R&D. And Disturb has been a slam dunk. Decayed has been a slam dunk. Coven, you know, whatever, it's incidental. And I was like, you know, Day Night's going to be super relevant. This is the werewolf set. And I just like missed super hard on that. And Day Night doesn't come up that much. And so that makes Olivia's Midnight Ambush really bad. And even if day night is around and like, you know, like we were talking about, you know, you can always make it night if you want, and then always make this negative 13, negative 13. But it's awkward because that's often happening in the late game. And yeah, you can pass and then be able to cast the thing at instant speed. But then you're often like lighting whatever four or five mana on fire because you're not double spelling and you often have a big thing or, you know, whatever, a flashback spell or a disturb creature to play from the graveyard and there's a lot of tension there yeah i agree i've been underwhelmed with olivia's midnight ambush i think the key with that one is you really want your own creatures that start the day night cycle if you're going to play olivia's midnight ambush and be happy with it looping back to the devious cover-up conversation i have a question here about navigating the four drop problem that the format has and maybe it's not really like a four drop problem in the sense of like there's so many good ones because there's not but just like how often do you feel like you're making concessions in terms of I'm going to, you know, maybe this four drop is a little better, but I got to lower my curve a little bit and take the two drop. I think a fair amount. The only four drops that I'm really taking, no matter what's happening with my curve, I think are organ hoarder, revenge of the drown and blue. Those are both absurd. And you're going to play as many copies of either of those as you can get. And, you know, last week I was saying that I maybe had Falcon Abomination head of Revenge of the Drowned. That's no longer the case for me. Revenge of the Drowned is absurd. I'm where Alex is at on it. I was just a little slower on the uptake. Hadn't played blue quite as much as he had. And then I think in white, Gavin Silversmith is good. I think maybe not quite as good as you and I thought uh, coming into the format before we would had played with cards. Yeah. And then Search Party Captain is really good, I think, and is kind of a pull into white. I'm I'm coming around to where Alex is at on that as well. I've had a chance to play with it a little bit more this week. And I think that's not really a four drop. It's more of a three drop. And if it's not a three drop, you're in big trouble anyway. So mm-hmm. it looks awkward on the curve. But I think if you just treat Search Party Captain like a three drop or less, you're probably in a good spot. Yeah, that makes sense. So really, it's just in blue and white. Yeah, I, I like the blue black draft that I ha- I'm in the middle of right now. You know, I ended up with three organ hoarders and one revenge and like started off pack one with a couple of devious cover-ups and thinking I was going to maybe do some blue-green, you know, loop stuff or whatever. And I was like, these just get edged out so quickly. If blue is open, there's just no way that that's a card you can put in your deck very often. Yeah, devious cover-up I don't think is very good. Flip the switch is much better than devious cover-up. Another question for you, how important is having access to incidental graveyard hate, do you think? Like, obviously, something like Diagraph Hoarder or Horde is nuts, but like, what about the 3-4 flyer in white that picks off a thing from the yard or even Jack-O-Lantern or... What's that card? The the black card with flashback that makes a decayed zombie and then also exiles up to one card. Like I have felt bad every time my opponent incidentally gets to grab something out of my yard. I agree. I think the white three four flyer is kind of a grown tester, but it also is a little out of place in the white decks because the white decks want to beat down so hard in my experience. I mean, you're fine putting a copy at the top of your curve, but I don't think you're going out of your way to have incidental graveyard hate. In my experience, you're either playing with Diagraph Hordes, in which case you're very happy because you have Diagraph Hordes, or you have your own flashback disturb cards to kind of keep up in that arms race, or you're very aggressive and you just rather kill your opponent and choke them on mana than trying to get stuff out of their graveyard. That's been how I've kind of been handling it. But definitely when the incidental graveyard hate comes up, 
it feels bad, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, I just think if you're drafting this format correctly, quote unquote, you're going to have, you know, I mean, I guess maybe it's just in blue, but like you're going to have flashback stuff. You're going to have um, disturbed stuff. And I think every time that gets nabbed, you're just like, oh, no, they, I didn't realize that, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely behind the curve because I feel like I'm I'm misplaying a lot just in terms of not reading cards or like thinking cards do things they don't. The whatever the the thalid sprout in green, the one drop uncommon when it flips, I didn't realize that could grab stuff out of anyone's graveyard. Like my opponent just like, oh, yeah, that card is busted. Yeah, they flipped it and then like ate one of my disturbed creatures. I was like, are you kidding me? How is that fair? No, it's not remotely fair. That is a must kill on site card. And I think the other thing about the soul guide griff is it feels busted when it nabs something from the graveyard, but it doesn't always nab something from the graveyard. And it feels pretty terrible when you play it and you don't get something out of the graveyard. I don't know. A three, four flyer is not poorly statted. Like it does outclass all of the disturbed creatures. Like it's a pretty big threat, I think. Yeah, card's been fine. Find a good. Yeah, find a good. Um, what are your format updates? What do you want to talk about? Uh, just a few cards that have moved way up for me. We talked about Revenge of the Drowned already. That card is bonkers. And I do think I'm coming around to blue being the best color over black. Yeah. Just because of how well all of blue's cards play with each other and how well they play with the other colors once you get deep into blue. I mean, black does as well but i think the black decks are a little more split in their game plan depending on what other color you pair with black but then all of the blue decks blue is just so good and plays so well with itself that all of those blue decks kind of just are on the same kind of controlly play awesome cards plan that i think i like blue better than black yeah that check that checks out for me i've also been super impressed with morning patrol that's the two and a white two three with vigilance and then it has disturbed three and a white to make a two one flyer with vigilance card's just been really annoying it's a, a relevant attacker early in the game sometimes it can attack without fear of dying to enable your search party captains and then late in the game I've just found all those little disturbed flyers to be very relevant. If your opponent doesn't have a way to deal with them, they just win the game. And if not, they're really annoying. I've liked Morning Patrol quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're especially once it gets a counter on it um, from, you know, any of the number of ways white can do that. Um, a three, four vigilance is really hard to attack past. And then moving down the list here, I still have not played red a ton yet, but I have been very impressed on the other side of the battlefield from my opponent's Voldaren Stingers. That's the single red one, one with first strike that you can pay uh, two and a red to give it plus two plus O until end of turn. Card has been very scary. I just think you can't block it most of the time. And then Festival Crasher as well. I think red decks if you're going to do the thing and be really aggressive those two cards need to be in your decks and in your decks in multiple copies so again small sample size for me but i have not been impressed by aggro decks either from the ones i have drafted myself or from my opponents like i feel like blue combats aggro super well like organ hoarder just shuts down aggro because it's a two for one or three for one and like puts a high power like a high enough power creature on the battlefield that can trade with something on blocks like i have found like if i see someone who's like going you know mountain swamp or mountain plains and i have you know a blue black deck or a blue green deck or whatever that i can often just say like okay i know i'm not the beat down and i can turtle up like disturb embarrasses aggro a lot of the time i don't know i feel like you know, i messaged you earlier i was like should we do another should we return to avoiding the aggro <laughs> trap and you're like no aggro is good in this format but i haven't quite seen it yet i mean yeah it's definitely not the thing you're hoping to do you want to play blue black or blue white or white black but not everybody gets to draft those decks and i do think the aggro decks are real and can threaten those decks and one red card i think people maybe aren't playing enough of is a ban in the post it's one in red for the sorcery up to two target creatures can't block this turn and then you can flash it back for three in a red that card is really good at getting around all of the stuff you're talking about like you get in some of that early incidental damage and your opponent thinks they're stabilizing and then you know you've got a festival crasher you abandon the post and you can push through a lot of damage in a hurry yeah that makes sense i have not seen that card cast yet so that could definitely be a sleeper for that style of deck for sure next up we've got bird admirers this is tuna green for the one four with reach mike sigaris tweeted about this uh, really being a key thing in green black decks and i think we're going to talk about each of the colors a little bit but Birdmire, I think, is really good at slowing the game down, and some of the green decks really want to slow the game down. So if you're interested in a 1-4 reach that turns into a 3-5 reach, you should be putting Birdmire in your deck if you want the games to go long. Birdmire is key, probably number one key at common for not dying in a green <laughs> deck to dis to disturb, right? Like I feel like my green deck sometimes I'm like, oh, I've got all these eccentric farmers. La-di-da, look at my lands. And then my opponent's like, here are a bunch of flyers. I'm like, oh no, what am I gonna do? 
Yeah, for sure. And then I've also been very impressed with Candlelit Cavalry. And in the same vein as Candlelit Cavalry, that's the 5-5 that gets trampled when you have Coven. I've also been very impressed with Mounted Dread Knight as a curve topper from the red decks. That's the 4 and a red of the 5-4 trample and it ETBs with a plus one plus one counter on it if an opponent lost life this turn. Trample's big game in this format. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, all the colors really get good five drops at common like blue gets the three six zombie that can be unblockable obviously black gets grave titan like there's some good five drops in the format so before we head into these draft logs just want to throw out some thoughts about how i'm navigating drafts or how i would recommend you approach navigating drafts in the format because we talked a lot about the state of the format last week and what are the good cards and things like that And we haven't really talked a lot about the draft process so i think that's what we're hoping to get into with these draft logs as well but you know, this is obvious, but you should try to start blue or black if you can. And it's worth noting that's an if you can, right? You're not necessarily going to be able to end up in blue or black. And I think at this point, I definitely prefer blue. And in some cases, I'm almost relieved when I open up a really good card of another color because you don't feel like you're necessarily as likely to get pushed off it. At this point, when I start blue or start black, I'm bracing myself for a fight. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I do think you want to like make sure that you're being aware of like, um, you know, it, you can sort of get trapped or like lulled into a false sense of security with blue because it's commons run so deep. But I think it's important to check in and be like, am I like really happy third picking the sixth best blue common or whatever? Because that can still be a good card. But I think that also may mean that blue isn't open. And I think it really starts to become apparent. There's been a lot of drafts where pick five, pick six, pick seven. There's just no black cards in the pack anymore for the next three packs. So there's no blue cards in the pack for the next three packs, which means you've probably got two or three drafters ahead of you taking cards of those colors. Yeah, I do think that black is going to be overdrafted more than blue just as the format progresses, just because people love removal so much. And I think, you know, are going to be thinking that Eaten Alive, Defenestrate, and Olivia's Midnight Ambush are super high picks. And not to say that certainly Eaten Alive isn't, um, but I do think, you know, some people may feel and may not quite realize the power of Revenge of the Drowned or, you know, Organ Hoarder even. Yeah. And just circling back last week to what you were talking about, Alex saying, you know, not picking removal super highly. I think a lot of that was not to put words in Alex's mouth here, but certainly from my experience, or what I was how I was framing that conversation in my head was not necessarily that you don't need removal. I mean, you definitely want to end the draft with at least two to three removal spells. You're probably happy with somewhere in the three to five range as well. But in black, it's more that Diagraph Horde and Ecstatic Awakener are way more important to successful black decks than having multiple copies of those three removal spells is. So it's more that Diagraph Horde and Ecstatic Awakener are definitely the top two black commons than it is that that black removal is not good. So then getting back to navigating drafts, if you start blue or black, great. Try to draft blue or black. If you get pushed out of those Esper colored decks, I think what you're supposed to do is try to go aggressive. And I think that would be like white green coven, red black vampires, red white, just play some really aggressive cards, some removal. There's a lot of good uncommons and rares in red and white that help you push damage. I think those three are the best aggressive decks in the format. And I think, you know, if you are trying to draft blue black, there's enough people trying to do it at this point that it really behooves you to try to get deeper into one of those two colors. Like rather than after your six picks in having three blue cards and then three black cards, if you can get to a spot where you're four and two or five and one to where if you have to pivot out, you can get into another color easier to pair with whichever color you're deeper in. I think that's a smart idea at this point. Yeah, I have no disagreement so far. This all lines up with my, you know, very small experience, but but my experience so far. Yeah. And then we talked about it earlier, but the only thing I'm really trying to avoid is red green. I think you should try pretty hard to avoid that. And then if you have to draft red, and I think there are pods where you're supposed to draft red, you know, if people are giving you seventh, eighth pick Moon Rager slashes, you should move in. And if you have to draft red, I think you just want to make sure that you need to be aggressive and you want to close the game out before all those other colors that have better value cards get a chance to stabilize and bury you in card advantage. So armed with that knowledge, let's hop into a round table here. You want to do my draft first or yours? Uh, let's do mine. Let's let's see uh, you know what, what criticisms you have for how I navigated these. So pack one, pick one. Glory hallelujah. We have pack one, pick one data now available from Arena. Um, so you see the following cards as options. I mean, there's not 
much to talk about here because we have a busted mythic in Sagarda, Champion of Light. This is one green, white, white for a 4-4, legendary creature angel, flying trample, humans you control get plus one, plus one, and coven, whenever it attacks, if you have coven, uh, you can look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a human creature card from among them, put it into your hand, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You're, there's no common or uncommon you're taking over this card. I don't think so. I mean, there is a Diagraph Horde in the pack, four and a black for the three, four, make two, decayed zombie tokens if you're on that force blue black train i mean you could maybe do something like that i think you would be making a gigantic mistake and i think common wise there's also a revenge of the drowned and i think i would just be on revenge of the drowned over diagraph horde this point pack one pick one revenge is that instant speed target creatures owner puts it on the top of the bottom of their library and then you make a decayed zombie token yeah so revenge and it's the only blue card in the pack so that's nice to be able to take there so what i was going to ask you know sagarda not withstanding here you've already named two of the commons uh probably the best uncommon though it seems like from watching alex's stream yesterday he's not high on this card and i'm curious where you're at on odric's outrider three and a white for a two four uh whenever it or another creature you control dies you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control i have still found this card to be impressive on the battlefield um are, are you lower on this card it's fine i think it's at its best in black white when you yes. have a chance to like control when things are dying and i think it's pretty oppressive there i would be on revenge of the drowned over it pack one pick one because i would value trying to get into blue that much and i think they're close on power level revenge is ridiculously good that makes sense all right so pack one pick one we grab the green white mythic four four angel pack one pick two see the following cards as options um at common We've got uh, a bait hook angler. That's the one in a blue two one human peasant with disturb one in a blue comes back as hook haunt drifter one two flyer. Um, you know, also a drown yard amalgam, the five mana three six zombie that mills three and, and you can pay two in a blue to make it unblockable until end of turn. Um, there's a burn the accursed four in a red instant deal five to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. A lambhold harrier as well. One in a red two two wolf pay three and a red to make target creature not be able to block this turn. There's uh there's your boy burly breaker, actually my boy, but I'm, I'm sort of off this card as well. You were right about this. <laughs> it's not this my is, boy uh, at all. <laughs> this is three green green for the six, five ward one human werewolf. And then uh, on the night bound side, it's an eight, seven with ward three. Yeah. You, you just hit the nail on the head on all those uh, werewolf cards being underpowered and not great. Um, huge points for you. This is a weak pack. What what do you do when you see a pack like this next? Like there's no good. The only white card is Thraben Exorcism, the instant that exiles a spirit creature with Disturber Enchantment. That's not remotely playable in best of one. There's not not good follow-ups here to Sigarda. Yeah, not good follow-ups here for sure. I mean, the fact that there's no green and white card that you're interested in taking means that I think you're supposed to hedge here. And literally, I mean, I think the if I were taking a green or white card, it would be defend the Celestis which is two green green distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two or three target creatures you control. That's just not good enough. I think to second pick to try to go along with Sigarda and Sigarda is great, but I mean, if blue and black are going to flow, you would be willing to abandon Sigarda to draft the best deck in the format, I think. So for me, a bait hook angler is just the best card in the pack. It's the one in a blue two one with disturb. And I think you, know, you named the red cards as well. And I think that's more just to give the context of the texture of a pack. Yeah. But there's no way I'm letting red commons pull me into red this early. No, no, no. I mean, I think I think the thing to discuss here is Burly Breaker. I think a lot of people would just be like, look, it's a human. It lines up with Sigarda. Sigarda's nuts. I'd like want to try and play Sigarda if at all possible. But I think the real consideration here is that Sigarda is white, white and not green green and so i think you know if, if there was like a medium white human i don't know the cards well enough right now to like name one off the top of my head but if there was like a medium white human in this pack i would definitely snap that up because you could think about all right well sagarda can still be and this was also sort of you know taking the bait hook angler here which is what i did you could end up blue white and splash sagarda and that's pretty good actually because a lot of the disturbed creatures are humans on the front side right so like that's a really good home for Sigarda as well right for sure one of the other questions that we didn't get to that was in your thing which was how much are you splashing and i, ha- I had my answer all locked and loaded for that which was way too much <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah i think you're just not supposed to it feels like i don't know like even green decks don't maybe green decks can do it well i mean i've seen some like three four color soups on the other side of the battlefield to you know medium to good success for my opponents i haven't done it much myself yet the two cards that have train wrecked drafts the most for me in this format are eccentric farmer wheeling and seize the storm i'm obsessed with trying to make blue green seize the storm stealth mill decks work 
And they're so fun to play, but they're so rough. And I actually will credit 217 lands data. I've been on there a few times for a few minutes just to try to like, you know, keep in touch with that world after our episode with Carl. And I was looking at the win rates of the decks and all of the decks that splash are just like five or six or seven percent lower. Now, that's probably people putting some irresponsible mana bases and things like that in there. And I'm pretty confident in my ability to splash. But I had just come off a streak of like, oh, three, two, three, oh, three, two, three, trying to draft these stupid eccentric farmer decks. And I saw that and I was like, all right, Ben, we got to cut this out. <laughs> yeah, no more. Yeah. So, you know, what may look like a sad bait hook angler, but I'm actually not mad because I think this card is so good. So we take that second. Moving on to pack one, pick three. This is pretty interesting. Um, probably the, the common, probably the only commons worth talking about are morning patrol. That's a two and a white two, three vigilance with disturb comes back as morning apparition for three and a white as a two, one flying vigilance. Um, there's also consider that's the opt with surveil single blue instant. Look at the top card of your library. You can put it into your graveyard and draw a card, but I'm really looking at these three uncommons, baby. We've got rise of ants. What did you call this last week? Ant coil engine. Yes. There you go. Ant coil engine. So uh, four green, green sorcery, create two, three, three green insect creature tokens. You gain two life and as flashback for six green, green card is an absolute house. Lords Limited preview card, Phantom Carriage, four blue blue for the four four spirit with flying. And when it ATBs, you can search your library for a card with flashback or disturb and put it into your graveyard. And Broodweaver, three and a green for a two four spider with reach. And when it dies, you make a one two green spider creature token with reach. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I think you're immediately going to the uncommons. I don't think I would ever take a common over any of these. Phantom yep. Carriage has been very good for me, but also sometimes unnecessary and felt very expensive at six mana somehow in blue decks. I don't know if that's just because at that point in the game, you also have a bunch of disturbed stuff in your graveyard that you want to get out of your graveyard. But I'm medium ish on that card. I mean, I think it's very good, but I don't feel like I need to pick it super highly. I think with Sigarda, I would lean towards Rise of the Ants here just because I think that card's really strong in any green deck. And I would want to try to play Sigarda, I think more than I would want to try to get into blue with bait hook angler. I'd be more interested, honestly, like if there were an organ hoarder in this pack than phantom carriage, for example. It's interesting. I have really liked phantom carriage. I don't know. I, it has not felt that expensive to me. And four, four flyer has felt huge for it's four, four flyer draw a spell effectively, which is huge. But I, I can kind of see what you're saying about it being unnecessary in terms of value in blue decks. Um, so I can see the rise of the ants. Yeah, I was just thinking I was still thinking like, I can be on the, this path of like be blue white splash Sigarda instead of taking rise, which feels like, I don't know, then, then I'm if I take rise of the ants, I can't play all three of the cards that I've drafted. Whereas if I take phantom carriage, I can, but maybe rise is just enough better that it's worth taking here. Yeah, and I think it's a close pick for sure. The other reason I like rise is I really enjoy these blue green self mill decks and it's yeah. very critical in those style of decks. But blue green self mill means you're abandoning Sigarda. Yeah, but I also by taking rise give myself the chance to still just draft green white and play cigarda so i give myself sure two options i'm very happy with i think is there any the, probably i know the answer is no but let's say you knew you were gonna end up green white at the end of the draft mm -hmm. would you take morning patrol instead here over rise of the ants i don't think so no i mean it's a, it's a human it's a three drop yeah but i don't think those are in short supply in green and white and i think rise of the ants is just a very powerful card okay great yeah just just curious so i took the phantom carriage here moving on to pack one pick four it's an interesting pack again like i don't even know what the commons are to to point out here i am curious I guess it's just that red is so bad that Famished Foragers doesn't matter. That's the three in red, four, three. Uh, when it ETBs, if an opponent lost life this turn, you add triple red and you can pay two in red to discard a card and draw a card. And I guess it also has the four drop problem too. Well, I think it matters if you already are red, but you're never yeah. moving into red for it. Right. Um, so blue cards, there's a consider and a devious cover up. White cards, there's a Clarion Cathars, a three and a white three, three human knight. When it ETBs, you create a one, one white human creature token relevant with Sagarda. Um, a couple human five drops in green with candlelit cavalry and tireless hauler. That's the five mana, four, five vigilance day bound, and then a six, six vigilance on the night bound side. And then the uncommon I want to point out is Storm Skrillex. Three blue red for the two, four Drake horror with flying instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus two plus O until end of turn. Yeah, there's another card in here I want to talk about, not for in consideration of picks, but Lunar Frenzy is also in this pack. Red X instant target creature control gets plus X plus O and gains first dragon trample until end of turn. The card is a house 
in red aggressive decks and ends a lot of games and you should not be sleeping on that if you're forced into playing red i uh, agree 100 percent. so storm screelix back to this pack is very good and i think far and away better than all of the other commons in this pack you have had some junky packs as far as depth of common quality goes because there are a lot of good commons in this format and we just haven't seen any of them so i think i would just take storm screelix here especially if you just took the phantom carriage you're feeling great, I think. But even in my spot, if I'd taken the carry Ants, there's still just no good green or white cards here. And so I think I would take the Storm Screelix and keep feeling out my lane. Yeah, and that is what I did. And that's sort of one of the, you know, one of the questions I had was like, you know, about the carve out a lane versus draft the hard way thing or like how important are the signposts on commons. A lot of my drafts I felt like have been guided by the signpost on commons, maybe for better or worse. But this feels like a spot where I'm like, this is a fourth pick Storm Screelix and I haven't played blue red yet. And so part of that is also like, you know, I'm letting a lot of the signpost on commons dictate my draft so I can just get a like sort of broad strokes take on as many decks as possible. But, you know, Storm Skrillex seems like a strong card and I've got the two blue cards already. So let's see where that takes us. I will say on that trend of letting the uncommons dictate your draft, I certainly think they can be signals as far as, you know, seeing Storm Skrillex there could mean that blue red is open, but it doesn't necessarily mean that blue is open and i think blue is so important to blue decks that you have to be careful especially with the blue gold cards and the black gold cards like seeing the black red vampire lord doesn't mean that black is open it means that black red is probably open and it doesn't even definitely mean that black red is open and i think so much of this format revolves around the premium commons of each color that there is some dangerous territory to get into there if you're just, you know, following those uncommon signals blindly. That makes a lot of sense. I agree with that for sure. Uh, pack one, pick five. Speaking of is, is blue open, I would say no. We've got a shipwreck sifters and a component collector. Not happy with either of those commons. Um, it's interesting if you had taken Rise of Ants, there's a Timberland guide in the pack, the one in a green one one. It is a human. And when there's the battlefield, you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. Um, would you consider that here had you taken Rise? I wouldn't. The fact that we first picked Sigarda and we haven't seen a single green or white top common, in my opinion, is really yeah. concerning to me. Like if yeah. this were a Harvest Tide Sentry, I would probably take Harvest Tide Sentry here, but I'm not stupid and low enough for Timberland guide. That makes sense. Yeah, we've got another Clarion Cathars as well in the pack. The four mana three three makes a one one in white. So yeah, we're we're really off the Sigarda train at this point. In terms of blue and red cards, I mean a couple red commons that are not of interest in Raise the Effigy and Harvest Tide Infiltrator. That's the three two human werewolf with trample, turns into a four four on the nightbound side. There's an uncommon here in Voldaren Ambusher. Tuna Red for a 2-2 Vampire Archer. When it enters the battlefield, if an opponent lost life this turn, it deals X damage up to one target creature or Planeswalker, where X is the number of vampires you control. Where are you at on this card? Card's good. Yeah. Like, it's not even just a vampire card, because there are X1s floating around, or like this can finish off something in combat. Like, the fact that this just can be a 3-mana 2-2 deal 1, I think is is not that bad, and then it it can go up from there. Yeah, there's just a lot of good X1s running around. This nabbing your opponent's Scob Wrangler, or their Vampire Interloper, or what have you, is just very good. Yeah, Um, so I grabbed that here, and, you know, unfortunate to have to, like, be pushed off of Sigarda, but I didn't end up finding that Blue Red was open for the seat. Yeah, I think you navigated this draft super, super, super well. And I think a lot of people wouldn't have been as willing to move into Red as you were, but this is definitely the type of draft where you want to, I think, make sure that you're not just blindly doing a thing. And I think you did a great job navigating it. Yeah, so the draft ended, I mean, I didn't end up actually doing too well with it you know some variants for sure um went, ended up going two three but a, a good looking deck had two storm screelixes two seize the storms which are just absolute houses and then but also like I, I found it a little tough like i played some cards i wasn't super happy with just to try and fuel these like i really wanted to make sure i had a critical mass of instants and sorceries to make these as big as possible yeah, welcome to Seize the Storm train wrecking my drafts. I just keep, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very good. Like it's very good when it works. It's so good. So I keep trying to make it work. But <laughs> the, the fail rate is fairly high <laughs> as I, someone who has experimented a lot with Seize the Storm. I will say that, uh, you know, Ryan Sachs has been tweeting a lot about Blue Red. And, and I think that seems to be like the deck he's drafted the most. And he seems to be super high on Electric Revelation. The Tuna Red Instant is basically a Tormenting Voice with Flashback, right? As an additional cost to cast it, you discard a card and then draw two cards and has Flashback for three and a red. That I had one copy and I would have played more. I found that to be really important to the style of deck and played super well with Famished Foragers, like being able to 
deal damage to my opponent, especially because I had so many cards that like they didn't want to block like bait hook angler or like, you know, you attack in with a festival crasher with open mana and your opponent's like, whatever, I'll just take one. And you're like, cool, that triggers the foragers. And then I use the three red to cast the revelation, etc. Yeah. And I think one of the things with this draft specifically, you know, you ended up in blue red spells, but I think it's worth noting at the end of pack one, you also had options to pivot into red black vampires but then you got those two seize the storms early in pack two that just kind of solidified you in blue red but the end of pack one i think you were just red and i think could have been red black or red blue yeah for sure right like was red would like to be red blue given the screelix the carriage the bait hook angler even the one copy of secrets of the key but yeah could definitely have pivoted and tried to do something a little bit more aggro all right let's take a look at one of my drafts pack one pick one see the following cards as options in blue, there's a Revenge of the Drowned. Three in a blue, put a creature back on top or bottom of their owner's library, and then you make a 2-2 black decayed zombie. It's really the only common in contention, in my opinion. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's Stromkirk Blood Thief. That's two in a black for the 2-2 at the beginning of your end step, and if an opponent lost life this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target vampire you control. There's a Sacred Fire, red-white for the instant, deal two to any target, gain two life, has flashback for six mana. And in the rare slot, we've got Curse of Leeches. This is a two in a black for an enchant player, as this permanent transforms into a curse of leeches attach it to a player at the beginning of a chain of players upkeep they lose one life and you gain one life and it's got daybound on the backside it flips into a 4-4 lifelink leeching lurker with nightbound i have not seen this card in play so i'm gonna continue thinking that it's not great but i i, I say that you take it here so you've played with it is this card good this card's good yeah i was also jury was out for me on it and people told me it was good from twitch chat and i, I played with it and i liked it a fair amount yeah Okay, because I, I look at this pack and I'm like, I'm kind of tempted to just take Revenge of the Drowned, which is kind of crazy. But I, you know, I'll, t- I'll take your word for it that Curse of Leeches is worth taking here, and, and I would take it too. I don't think that would be crazy. I, I could see a case for Revenge of the Drowned. I mean, Curse was good, but Revenge is also very good. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. We have the Curse of Leeches in our pile. See the following cards as options. In the common slot, there's an Organ Hoarder, three and a blue for the three, two. When it ETBs, you look at the top three, put one of them in your hand, and the rest into your graveyard. When you're not doing any like value type thing and your opponent plays organ hoarder i don't know if there's a worse feeling in the form <laughs> it feel like i just like so quickly want to just go like to the little cog in the upper right and concede <laughs> yeah i mean flyers are really good against organ hoarder value trains but sure the organ hoarder player probably also has flyers unfortunately there's also a bait hook angler but you're never taking that over organ hoarder but i am i think taking bait hook angler over I don't know the name, but the three mana two two flyer that makes a decayed token. I'm on angler as the third best blue common. I could see that for sure. I could see that. I think Falcon Abomination is better in blue black specifically, but I think Bait Hook Angler is generically probably more broadly applicable in decks. Mm -hmm. And then moving on to the uncommons here, we've got Play with Fire that's red instant deal two damage to any target. If a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. There's a Morbid Opportunist, which is two and a black for the one three. And whenever one or more creatures die this turn, draw a card and it triggers only once each turn. And then we've also got Devoted Graphkeeper. So great uncommons. White, blue for the two one. Devoted Graphkeeper ETBs. You mill two cards. Whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, tap target creature you don't control. And it's got Disturb for blue and a white and Disturbs into Departed Soul Keeper, which is a 3-1 flyer that can only block creatures with flying. Yeah, a lot of really good options here. But I mean, especially having taken Curse of Leeches, you're thrilled because isn't Morbid Opportunist, the, is this the best uncommon in the set? I don't know if it's the best, but it's very good. I don't think I would say it's the best. I would say it's top five. Yesterday, on Alex's stream yesterday, he said he thought Scob Wrangler was the best uncommon. If you're in blue black, I think. But I think Alex has also had just an absurdly high rate of being able to drive blue black. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's never, it's like rarely open for me, but I keep like popping into streams where it is open for people. So I don't know. But yeah, more about opportunists is nuts. And given that you took Curse of Leeches, like maybe if you had said, all right, I'm going to take Revenge of the Drowned, then I think you make a case for taking Organ Hoarder here. But Opportunist is such a good follow-up for you. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to pack one, pick three, things get interesting. So we've got two black cards and there are zero black cards in the pack. Only blue card in the pack is Component Collector. It's two and a blue for the one four. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Component Collector enters the battlefield. And whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, you can tap or untap target non-land permanent. Not interested in that. So that takes us on to the other colors. Uh, best white card in the pack is probably Lunark Veteran. 
Uh, white for the one one, and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. Has disturbed for one and a white, and then you get the one one flyer, luminous phantom on the other side. Whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, you gain a life. There's also Candlegrove Witch. Um, I just think Lunark Veterans better than Candlegrove Witch at this point. Um, Candlegrove Witch is the one and a white two two with Coven that gains flying, and then moving on to the uncommons, there's a Dawnheart Mentor. I think is the card I'm most excited about in the uncommon slot. Two and a green for the 0-4 when ETBs make a 1-1 white human creature token and has Coven, five and a green, give target creature plus three, plus three, and gain trample until end of turn. Yeah, I mean, this feels like huge points for me that you think Lunark Veteran is the best white card out of these five white cards in the pack. Were you on this card? I don't even remember that. Oh my God, I have to insert the argument. Yeah, you you were like <laughs> not all about this. And I kept trying to talk you up and I was like, this is like... Uh, you know, it's better than what's it called? Oh, um, yeah, I do remember Doom that Traveler. now. I, I yeah, do you remember were, that now. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. hard against this card. Lunark Veteran's great. I, I I, might have to bow to Big Data. Lunark Veteran's very good in white, black, and white, blue. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I, everything with Disturb is so good. I feel like, is there any Disturb card that isn't at least a C plus? I feel like no. I think that's probably true. It's so hard. Yeah, to just not love these, these two for ones. And the life gain on Veteran, as you guys were talking about last week, is just so relevant. I was just shocked. Like I saw this pack and I was like, I mean, I kind of like Loyal Griff, the two and a white, two, two flash flyer. ETBs return another creature you control to its owner's hand. I don't think I would take that over Candlegrove Witch and Veteran, but I was just surprised. So where are you at? I mean, I know you guys sort of re-ranked the commons in each color last week. I assume you're probably about on that, but do you have a sense of your top three white commons right now? I think I'm pretty much where Alex was. I think I'm on Search Party Captain 1 trapper two maybe lunark veteran three honestly i could see veteran being two if you expect to get into blue white or white black Mm -hmm. and then trapper three i mean they're all good and they're all so close and so many of the picks come down to being curve dependent i think and even like thinking about that and then looking at this pack and seeing other white cards that i'm happy with i was shocked to see discourse on twitter over the last week while i was away of people thinking that white was terrible in this format that was so surprising to me. Oh, yeah. White's very good, I think. Yeah. It's just super deep. It doesn't have a lot of standout cards, but it's got so many C-plus comments that just all work towards the same game plan. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that it gets access to half the Disturb cards is so good, and those play so well in blue-white and uh, black-white. Yeah. Been very happy with white. All right. So Lunark Veteran, pick three here. You love to see it. Moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. Again, no great blue or black. There's a Morkrit Behemoth that's the 7-6 with Menace. Uh, there's an Ominous Roost that's the build around with Disturb flashback cards in blue. But you're not taking either of those here, I don't think. So again, we've got decision time. Um, there's no great green or red cards. Best card in the pack is probably Defend the Celestis as far as green or red cards go. There's that and an Ardent Elementalist that's the 2-1 that rebuys an instant or sorcery. And then the only white card in the pack is Gavany Silversmith. Uh, three and white for two, three. When ETBs put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Ardent Elementalists, I, I faced a deck the other day that was like Teamer Loops with Ardent Elementalist and the flashback spell in green that's Regrowth. It's like two and a green, rebuy a thing, and then has flashback for uh, four and a green. That and Ardent Elementalist just like rebuying each other while other stuff was happening felt very oppressive. Ooh, that is pretty spicy. Haven't seen that yet. Yeah, that was very, very cool. I definitely want to try that out at some point. Um, but having taken the veteran here and also I, I love what you're doing in each of these packs. And I wonder if that's just something that you know I should take away and our listeners should take away is like every pack you're checking in on blue and black cards. Is that how you're approaching this format? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like every draft, I want to be blue black. I just haven't been able to do it much. I frequently this week ended up in blue, white and white, black, because I think what you've said, black's been overdrafted because of the removal, things like that. So I can usually shoehorn my way into either blue or white and then figure out the rest from there. And and I know you said that in your like sort of navigating draft section. I didn't want to make it seem like I wasn't listening to Ben back then. But like (laughs) this, this very like aggressive, like I'm noting even the worst of the bunch, like last pack when he was like no black cards and the only blue card is component collector and still just like clocking that. I'm I'm finding that interesting. But so, yeah, so we're, we're clocking a couple blue black cards here, but nothing like great, I would say. So I like Gavany Silversmith. I mean, even the fact that this is not like we've had this pegged as best white common. It's not. It seems to not even be in the top three. It's still very good. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So I like taking the Silversmith here. I'm pretty happy with that. Well, I think there are some decks where it is the best white common. 
but you just can't yes. f- pick it like it's the best white common. It doesn't lead you into white, but it is still a very powerful card. Well, I think it's probably the best white common in the two worst white decks, right? I think in white, green, and white, red, you do like this a lot more than maybe some of those other cards we mentioned. Like it being able to enable some coven stuff or just enable attacks in those more aggressive decks, I think is more important. But you would just rather be white, black, or white, blue if you can. Yes. All right, moving on to pack one, pick five. We've got two white cards, two black cards so far. Uh, best common in the pack is Ecstatic Awakener. Black for the 1-1, one, one, two and a black, second of the creature, draw a card, then transform it into a 4-4. Four, four. Holy cow, so many points for you. All of the points for you. This card is absurd. Yeah, this card is, is way better than I thought it would be, but I definitely was excited about this card, and I, I will take the points. I need, all, I need as many points as I can for how bad I whiffed on Day Night and Werewolves. It is better than Owlbear. Yes. Much better than Owlbear. Because Decade is not. So that's, I mean, we were all high on Decade, but like, I think points for us for just like recognizing how much those two, two zombies were going to do work in this set. Yeah. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's some good ones here. Clear shot, two and a green for the instant. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. There's also a Blood Tithe Collector, which is fine like it's kind of fillerish four and a black for the three four flyer when etbs if an opponent lost life this turn that opponent discards a card i think it's just a little too small potatoes in the five drop slot more points for me (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah this i thought was another super interesting pick because clear shot i think is the best card in this pack right yes i think so yes 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 but but are you so incentivized to draft black over green that you would still maybe take awakener over it pack one that seems That seems a little crazy to me. I wouldn't do that pack one, pick one, no, because I would be too worried about getting cut out of black. I think if you Uh told me black were going to be open, I would make that pick, but I would not have a high enough degree of confidence that I would take it over clear shot pack one, pick one. Yeah. So I just found this to be interesting because I think you could make a case for taking clear shot and then be like, look, I can play. I could be black, white and miss out on the clear shot, or I could be white, green or or green black and play the clear shot so i found it interesting that you took the awakener here and i think that just speaks to the power of this little one drop oh with this start with this black and white start it's not close to close for me awakener is so good with this start i love to hear that that's awesome yeah no awakener is so important in black white yeah 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 for sure and black decks in general i think and then moving on to pack one pick six this is where things really start to get dicey it looked like it was going to be easy street for black white but then pack one pick six we see zero black cards, a couple blue cards that we're not interested in in Secrets of the Key and Locked in the Cemetery. So looking like we're not going to get into blue this draft. And then there's no good white cards. There's a Clarion Cathars. But if we're white black, I mean, you would play a Clarion Cathars, but you're definitely not hoping to play very many. And then the only really exciting common in the pack is Harvest Tide Sentry. It's one in a green for the 3-1 with Coven. The beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three more creatures with different powers, it can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less this turn. Yeah, bit of a stinky pack. So you select Harvest Tide Sentry here. That's just because you're so, like, I guess, not into Clarion Cathars. Like, Cathars could be good in black-white, right? Yeah, get a little 1-1 one, one sack fodder. It could, but I think it's significantly worse with our start than both Silversmith and Search Party Captain. So here is where I'm taking into consideration, like, I don't need another four drop at this point in the draft. Yeah, that makes sense. And if I do get pushed out of white, I have three awesome black cards that I definitely want to play if I possibly can. So if white's not going to flow, I want to take green cards if green's going to flow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But as someone smart told me, Search Party Captain is not really a four drop. It is not. Someone smart did tell you that. Yeah. All right, moving on to pack one, pick seven. I ended up grabbing another Harvest Tide Sentry here out of a pack with no black cards and a Soul Guy Griff as the only white card. And so our pile right now is Lunark Veteran, Gavany Silversmith, two Harvest Tide Sentries, and then the Curse of Leeches, Morbid Opportunist, and Ecstatic Awakener. And I think it's important right now just to take a second to take stock of what's happened in the draft. And I would encourage you all to do this as well at home. So we first and second picked Curse of Leeches and Morbid Opportunist. And then the only other black card we saw that we were interested in was Ecstatic Awakener. And that was fairly late, I think, for Ecstatic Awakener. But we've seen zero copies of the black removal spells, right? We've seen no Olivia's Midnight Ambushes. We've seen no Eaten Alives. And we've seen no Defenestrates. So it's possible that I've got several people drafting black ahead of me that just don't know how good Ecstatic Awakener is, right? Yeah, that's definitely possible. And so, again, like seeing pack one, pick seven here with no black cards in the pack, like I definitely want to play black with these three black cards because they're so good. But there's a world here where I pivot off of black 
and end up going green white coven as well yeah for sure and i think that's important to note especially like you know the cards you get later in the draft those have more weight in terms of what might be open for your seat Yes, 100%. So the draft rounds out pack one. We wheel Sacred Fire out of our opening pack. So then wheels are also churning. So Okay, maybe I abandon black and go red-white aggro if black really isn't open. But then turns out in pack two, we got hooked up with several flesh takers in a row. Um, so ended up being able to draft white-black on the back of white being open enough. And then I got enough premium black cards to make it worth being black and had had a very good white black deck yeah but it's not a lot right so you have those three black cards you took in pack one two black removal spells and three flesh takers yes so so black was not open in the draft yeah, i think exactly which is kind of what we talked about with the gold cards but got bailed out by enough gold cards and then enough early picks on good black cards and then white was open enough to fill all of that out yeah for sure so i do think the drafts are interesting in the format as well especially if you get in pods where people know what's up i think those are the really interesting drafts yeah, I definitely have. I found that like sometimes it's just a, a lane. I mean, it's like any draft format. Sometimes you pack one, pick one, a gold card and that lane is open. And sometimes you have interesting like pivot decisions. And sometimes you have a draft like this where like you start off hoping to be black, white, take some hedges and then come back home to black, white. Always come home, baby. <laughs> All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro to read the articles that you, me, and Alex are writing and other members of Team CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And of course, you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later green mike siggy tweeted about this um mike siggy has a really mike awkward thing siggy. to say let's my no, bud let's, let's let's take that again <laughs> bird admires another one that's really impressed me is tuna green for the one four with reach uh sigrist mike sigrist tweet why am i being so awkward <laughs> bond james bond <laughs>